Live. I'm Chris Compendio, and I'm here with Izzy Show. Hello. So, if you were if you were listening last week, we were doing a phase one recap. We're doing a little recap mini series, uh, kind of in preparation for Endgame, and the the last episode before that will be a sort of Endgame predictions episode. So, just to clarify, this is mainly for people who are casual fans of the MCU, you know, we, we kind of, like, mentioned, like, oh, this is something that we would give to our parents or something like that, or or friends and peers who maybe have seen the movies but don't really remember them that well, so phase one, uh, we had Thomas and Anthony on, we had, <laughs> we had three hours of content, and uh, it was kind of a slog. I, I will admit I was, like, nervous to get that episode out because... You can probably tell from me totally not speaking in real sentences that I was exhausted. I just came from PAX East that past weekend, and uh, this past weekend I was in Pittsburgh and Louisville, so I have been traveling a lot more uh, these days, and I am still tired, but uh, I got Izzy with me. Izzy has to go places, I have to go places, so we are going to try to streamline this, right Izzy? Snappy! Snappy, very snappy. Uh, these are, you know, we're, we're gonna like, we we kind of did like scene by scene, but we can we can try to see if we can uh, make that a little, little quicker. So you know, apologize apologize in advance because you know, snark is a very big part of our of how we kind of do things around here. So again, you know, if you if you are very familiar with the MCU and how those ended up. Um, and the plots and whatnot, you can probably just wait until our endgame prediction episode, to be honest. This is mainly for, you know, parents, friends, etc. So, without further ado, uh, May 2013 had Iron Man 3, directed by Shane Black, uh, co-written by Black, and Drew Pierce. And Izzy, do you remember what song played at the beginning of this movie? (laughs) It was... It was not ACDC. That song, the blue song. Oh, I did not <laughs> it know. It did back not remember to, that. Yeah, um, it, it begins with like a, a little narration of Tony Stark doing a very Shane Black-esque narration about creating demons. And you see images of a suit blowing up, the, um, the Hall of Suits, basically, in his lab. So we we flash back to 1999. It's Tony at uh, oh dear lord uh, at some conference. So it was like a New Year's Eve yeah conference yeah. thing, right? Like it was. Yeah, I just I just don't recall what country it was in or what city it was in, but uh, I guess to sum up, you know, there were a lot of people there. Uh, Ho Yensin was there. That was kind of the that was the. Um, that was the moment that he mentioned in Iron Pen 1, like, oh yeah, I met you at this conference, but you were so drunk, you don't even remember it. <laughs> but um, we see we meet uh, Rebecca Hall's character, Maya Hansen, who's a botanical scientist. We meet a crippled, nerdy scientist named Aldrich Killian, played by Guy Pierce. Uh, also, this is in Switzerland, I, <laughs> I just recalled. Yay! Um, but yeah, Ultra Killian, he wants to, like, kind of get Tony Stark into this whole uh, advanced idea mechanics the think tank, let's call it. And, you know, Ultra Killian, he's kind of like this dorky guy with, like, like 
horn like um glasses with, with, I... know, big big old glasses and what are you about to say yeah i did not realize that um he was disabled um in some capacity the wikipedia page says like he is disabled and... yeah you know he has a cane uh, oh uh, yeah yeah and a limp yeah but uh it's you know tony stark's not really into this he's just like who's this rando asshat uh, he just wants to, to bone Rebecca Hall and uh, my, you know, Maya Hansen, the character's name again. And she has this cool thing called Extremis, and it kind of like regenerates this plant, but it's a little unstable. There's a little mini explosion. But the flashback ends, and Tony's like, yeah, I didn't know it at the time, but I created demons. Flash forward to the Christmas after the Avengers, the, the events of the Avengers, and, you know, Tony Stark, he is working on Mark 42. Remember that the Avengers, he was he had Mark 6 of his suit. Uh, so he has been very busy since the Avengers. Uh, it's a modular suit, so, like, all the pieces, like the arms, the legs, the helmets, they are all separate, and they all kind of, like, fly at him. And, um... You know, with these kind of, like, nano things that he injected into his arms and, I assume, his other limbs. And it's a little finicky, you know? It's a, kind of a silly moment where he's trying to put it on and it all just kind of slams on him. But... Whew. After that, we get some cool PSAs from The Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley. He is a terrorist who apparently is the leader of the Ten Rings, the organization that we saw in Iron Man 1 that kidnapped Tony Stark. Uh, yeah, he's responsible for some, for some bombings. Uh, President Ellis, uh, Warren Ellis, played by... William Sadler, if you recall him from uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as Death. <laughs> He's basically sending uh, Colonel James Rhodes, again, played by Don Cheadle, who is, um, he's not long, he's no longer War Machine. It has been repainted and rebranded to look American-esque in a very Captain America way. He's called the Iron Patriot. <laughs> so, what else happens? Yeah. Uh, oh, um... he meets with Rhodes. Yeah. This was uh, this was his first panic attack, right? When they're at the restaurant. Yes, it was. Like I think someone like came up to him and was like, "Oh, like Tony Stark, like, oh my gosh, Tony Stark." And then like, yeah, he starts having his first panic attacks, and then people are like, "Oh yeah, you okay? Hey, you okay?" And yeah, he like freaks out. Was like still like a bit unsettled, um, and whatnot. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is a this is a recurring element. He is having flashbacks to almost dying in the Avengers when he went to space yeah. and distinctly like, space, you know, and like those memories of him like there. And it's I think about now it's interesting. Like it's interesting. I think like they didn't. I guess like you assume like he's sort of gotten over like these panic attacks. But, like when he goes into space, like in Infinity War after that, like he really like doesn't. It's like sort of like I guess more different. Like more focus on like beating Thanos at hand and, like, not realizing, like... Oh, like, sure, yeah. yeah. first time I mean, in space in, like, five years. It's, like, this dramatic Almost event. dying is a pretty... Like, he was unconscious. He barely made it through the wormhole. And, uh... I can imagine that's pretty traumatic, but... You know, he, he thinks he's having a heart attack, but no, he's just having an, a major anxiety attack. And this is kind of, like, um... This is, you know, concerning Pepper Potts, because she thinks that... You know, something's awry with Tony Stark. Tony Stark has been making all these suits, and he's obsessed with uh, with protection, protecting himself, protecting Pepper. 
every suit he's making is for some sort of scenario. He is paranoid after the Avengers. So Pepper Potts, still the CEO of Stark Industries, uh, has an appointment with Audra Killian, who has, um, you know, he, you know, there's the before and after, <laughs> like in a, in a in an infomercial. He no longer has a limp. He looks handsome. You know, he doesn't need glasses anymore, and he's uh, basically making a pitch for Extremis, which harnesses the brain's power to alter human DNA. Um. Happy Hogan, no longer the bodyguard of Tony Stark because Iron Man doesn't need a bodyguard, bless you. Thanks. <laughs> He's head of security at Stark Industries. He's annoying everyone to, like, you know, wear your badge, you know, your lanyards and whatnot. Um, suspicious of Audra Killian, so he starts following him. You know, he it's kind of like this... Uh, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a flirtatious vibe from Killian towards Pepper, so uh, yeah, another reason to be suspicious. So, well, I was going to say that, that it's the scene where they're they're sleeping, and, you know, they, they share a bed because they're a couple, and Tony oh, yeah, 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 has yeah. a, yeah, he has a little dream, like, PTSD-induced um, flashback to falling through the wormhole. And he wakes up, you know, in a sweat, and the Iron Man suit is there, you know, it reacted to him. This new modular prototype, uh, 40, Mark 42, uh, is aiming its weapon at Pepper, you know, so she's terrified, and he's like, yeah, you gotta sleep downstairs. Like, no, no, she's gonna sleep downstairs, but it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of an intense moment it was it was very metaphorical of like the <laughs> like the the burden of you know the visual of the iron man suit um having this very threatening uh posture towards tony and pepper you know mm-hmm. yeah so happy follows um eric savin who is kind of uh played by james Jail, kind of the right hand man this this asshole enforcer you know he refused to wear the badge <laughs> in the lobby, but he follows him at the uh, the Chinese theater in L.A., and he gives this guy, Jack Taggart, I believe he's a veteran, uh, a briefcase, and um, Happy kind of intervenes, you know? Um, I think he kind of takes out uh, some parts of that device that was in the briefcase, but it turns out... Uh, Jack Taggart needed that because he has Extremis. Uh, he glows red and he blows up. Um, terrifying, terrifying event. Uh, Happy is severely injured. Savin's fine. He regenerates because he has Extremis. So Happy's in a coma. Uh, he's in the hospital. Downton Abbey's playing in the background. <laughs> and Tony is mobbed by reporters. And what does Tony do in front of the video cameras? He threatens, he threatens the Mandarin. He's like, you know, really, he's pretty pissed. And like, you know, like, you don't come at me, like, fight me. Like, gives him, gives the Mandarin his address. Um, and that's exactly mm. what the Mandarin does. He comes to Tony's house. Come at me. Come at me. He, yeah. um, flies to, he essentially bombs Tony's house. Um, Pepper's also yeah. there. Um, Maya is also there. Maya Hansen shows up. To warn him, <laughs> right? In yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, he did give out his address, which was uh, kind of a 
<laughs> kind of Bruh. a bonehead move. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in, in shame black fashion, you know, helicopter attacks Malibu Mansion. <laughs> I believe that also happened in Lethal Weapon. But uh, there's a cool moment where Tony protects Pepper by summoning the suit and putting it on Pepper, which was uh, kind of neat. But, you know, uh, Pepper gets Maya out, Tony gets the suit back, but it's not quite ready, so it doesn't really have too many weapon systems. He has to, like, physically throw, like, missiles, like, at the uh, the helicopter that's attacking, like, all of the um, the gunships that are attacking him. And basically, this this mansion that we that has been his home for Iron Man's 1, 2, and 3 uh, goes underground. That's why all those suits were blowing up in the opening of the movie. Um, but he survives, he's unconscious, but the suit gets, uh, regains some power, and it, like, autom- Jarvis automatically flies to his uh, previously set destination, which is uh, Rose Hill, Tennessee, because he was doing some investigating, some Sherlock Holmesing, if you will, and found out that there are some um, other blasts that occurred that ha- that match kind of the same energy signature of what happened at the Chinese theater. So, yeah, Tony just crashes in Tennessee. It's snowing, and he's out of power, so... And he's dragging he the suit, dra- like, across the snow. Yeah. Great image. Great image. Also, another visual metaphor for the burden of being Iron Man. Yeah. Can I interject with... Um, yes. Before, can I interject, I guess? So, um, we've been... I think we've been hinting about this, I guess, like, throughout our plot summary, but... In our Stuco, we talk about um, the central conflict of Iron Man 3, which is who is Iron Man, the man or the suit. Um, and this is right, and this image that we're describing of like Tony physically like pulling like the suit like through the snow is like the physical representation of like Iron Man like being a burden. He builds all these suits because he's scared, he can't protect like the people he loves. Because um, once we establish those threads, and um, we'll continue back to regular schedule recap. To figure out where this might lead um yeah let's talk about harley this little kid harley played by ty simpkins uh people hate this kid i think i don't really care i think he's okay <laughs> yeah i also like <laughs> this fine could... like yeah he's kind of yeah. a kind of a sidekick in tony's sort of uh detective um you know, a little arc here you know he's trying to figure out what happened to these people uh with in with the uh you know, all those alleged suicide bombings from the Mandarin. Uh, we soon find out later that that isn't exactly the case. Um, he basically finds that um, there wasn't any, there wasn't a literal, like, physical bomb. Um, but it did involve another uh, military veteran. Um, he goes to a bar, he meets the mother of the soldier who um, was accused of committing this uh, this suicide bombing, quote-unquote. And he gets into a little scuff with uh, Savin and Ellen Brandt. Um, she is another veteran who is injected with extremists, uh, kind of the, I guess... The right-hand woman of, of um, Killian. Not really made clear what her role is, but she has like a distinct scar on her face. I know it's a very shame black thing to do to have a distinct visual thing like uh, 
Kiss Kiss Bang Bang had like the girl with the pink hair, and the nice guys had the assassin with the giant mole on his face. So, uh, a very Shane Black esque enforcer character, uh, Tony Stark without suit. He is he manages to uh, kill Brant in a very in a pretty cool scene. Uh, terribly edited, but uh, <laughs> it's a pretty well choreographed scene. And yeah, Tony escapes. He finds out the... Oh, there's that whole scene where Ben Kingsley, as the Mandarin, uh, threatens to murder a CEO of Roxxon Oil um, Corporation. Um... Oh, right. Tony's still in Tennessee. He goes to a beauty pageant. <laughs> and he finds this really annoying fan of his... He basically hacks into some servers and he finds out more about Extremis. If the user cannot properly metabolize it, they start to heat up like crazy and they explode. So that is actually the source of those explosions, uh, as you can gather from um, Jack Taggart's death earlier. So Rhodes is on the is um on the hunt for the Mandarin. Uh, he gets a false lead. And he gets uh, he gets captured, and they basically force him out of his suit by heating up his suit with the with their what do you call it their extremist heat powers. <laughs> Ultra Killian literally breathes fire, and Brody goes like, "Oh, oh, you you breathe fire." <laughs> uh, Tony finds uh, the where the Mandarin apparently is in Miami, Florida. He MacGyver's a bunch of weapons at, like, a freaking Home Depot or something. I really loved this scene. And he finds out that the Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley, is not the Mandarin. He is actually just an actor, a, a drunkard British actor named Trevor Slattery. And he is basically the puppet, the puppet of Audra Killian. Oof. So, um, Tony gets captured. Audra Killian has like a big monologue about like his, you know, his plan, and um, you know, it turns out he killed he. Sorry, he kidnaps Pepper Potts with the help of uh, Maya Hansen, who kind of double crosses Pepper. But Audra Killian shoots and kills Maya. Very lame ending for that character, I feel. Uh, but yeah. Killian is basically trying to like well, how would you describe his like motivation and plan is he because I've always had a little trouble kind of understanding it like almost like from this place of like scorn I think it's very like from what I remember it feels very like syndrome-esque like he's almost like flashing. my name is not buddy yeah like uh, yeah. it's flashing out against like his <laughs> it's flashing out against like his like like, the people who he used to, like, look up to and, like, trying to, like, you yeah. know, like, assert, like, his own place in the world. He's like, I am, like, the Mandarin. Like, he wants, like, all this power that, like, they, like, yeah. Tony Stark, for example, like, never had us to show him, like, yeah, I'm, like, better than you. Um, and, yeah, after a while, like, like, there's this huge, like, big scene in, like, the oil rig. Um, and Tony essentially uses, like, all these suits around him to, like, hop from, like, place to place. The suits are almost, like, stepping stones, like, as he's, like, navigating through this big fight. And then eventually, like, he blows up all the suits, including the Mark 42, um, 
and defeats essentially Killian by trapping Killian inside the Mark 42. Um, yeah, granted he survives that, but Pepper, who was believed to be dead <laughs> uh, from like from a fall, fall. Right when Tony was trying to trying to save her at the oil rig, he she emerges uh, because she she has extremis, so she is fine, and she murders Killian <laughs> in a very uh, wonderful little bit. Um, but yeah, Rhodey and Tony they save they save the president of the United States who was captured. On Air Force One, he was in the captured Iron Patriot suit, which was previously used by Savin. Um, but you know, Tony killed Savin in the Air Force One scene. Uh, but yeah, uh, Tony blowing up those suits, he calls it the Clean Slate Protocol. That was his way of saying, "Hey, I'm no longer. I'm. I'm going to try to not be this paranoid person that." I was earlier. Again, clean slate. That doesn't mean he's stopping being Iron Man. That just means he's like you know he's wiping the slate clean. Step. He's still gonna do work. <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, and when you explain it like that, it definitely makes more sense. Like why he like quote unquote like what we like call is like quote unquote like relapses. It's like using suits and like Age of Ultron, like Civil War, and like Phase Three. And so, yeah. and ma- when you phrase yeah, it like, like that, he, he, like it makes he's sense. not at Mark ninety five or whatever, like in Infinity War. Like he's he doesn't have that same like suit making binge, I guess. <laughs> I don't know it gets a very I guess overall like Iron Man three like the emotional arc at its core is very very impactful, and it's Thomas's I guess it's one of the fa- it's one of like Thomas's favorite things to like sort of get into mm. in class. So, um, you know like. It's very grateful. It's very, like, impactful, I guess, like, in that sort of way. And sure. honestly, when I first learned about Iron Man 3 and, like, this arc, like, made me change the way I think about Iron Man. Like, the Mandarin was very controversial, and I was personally on the side, I was, like, I was, like, controversial, like, in how, like, I guess, like, the twist happened, and I was, like, and I was on the side of, like, it's a cool, like, story element, but also, like, still, like, was just meh overall. I, I understand the perspective because, you know, to, to address criticism of our last episode, you know, we are not comic fans. We are movie fans. We are fans of the MCU. And I can imagine why people who, you know, wanted, like, ha- have reverence for the source material, they felt like they were, they done dirty, you know? Uh, Ultra Killian declared himself as the Mandarin. You know, he had like freaking dragon tattoos and whatnot. And I guess he had fire powers, but that wasn't exactly what people were expecting. So, I, I have a bias. You know, I am not a comics person. I couldn't really tell you anything about the original Extremis storyline or how the Mandarin was. In yeah, I will say the Mandarin. Like it's a it. It's like kind of a racist concept, so I mean, um, to kind of be like, oh, um, the bad guy isn't just some like stereotypical person of color. It's just this, it's this white dude who wants to control, the, you know, world like the state of world warfare, <laughs> and um, for that I kind of appreciate it a little bit. So forgive me for not hating on the Mandarin and for liking Iron Man three. But the fact that, you know, it ends with Tony Stark, um, he has the arc reactor removed from his chest, he has the shrapnel removed, he fixes Pepper and kind of perfects the Extremis formula, he tosses his arc reactor in the ocean, uh, 
you know, he goes back to the remnants of his mansion. He takes back the, the dunce cap, the, the dummy <laughs> arm, and he says, I am Iron Man. You know, he's got a screwdriver. That means he's going to keep building. Okay, you understand? Tony Stark is going to keep building stuff, even though he blew up his suits. <laughs> and then there's a uh, there's a funny scene where the you find out that the narration is Tony Stark recalling all this to Bruce Banner, who fell asleep very early on, so he did not hear any of that story. But yeah, Tony Stark will return. But for now, let's go to Thor The Dark World, Izzy. Yeah, so I'm going to sum this up. Um, yeah, you do it as quick as possible. Like, moderately quickly. The one thing you need to know for this one thing you need to know for this movie, the only reason why this movie I can still consider oh. is like remotely relevant in this universe at all, is that surprise, did you know that there was an infinity stone in this movie? Do you remember that red stone that like helped Thanos like turn like all the guardians into like different shapes and whatnot? Um But yeah, this infinity stone is almost like the MacGuffin for most of the plot. Um it details like Essentially, um, Star Dark World, um, sort of as a backstory to this, it details, like, Odin's conflict with, like, the Dark Elves, um, uh, led by, um, Malekith, played by Doctor Who himself of years past, Christopher Eccleston, um, yeah. Rip, um, but it talks about their sort of fight. He's still alive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this <laughs> is, like, sorry, oh, <laughs> yeah, so this is, like, Odin and, like, Malekith, well, Odin's, like, Grant, I'm oh, sorry, Odin's father, like, and Malekith, like, sort of fight over, like, this Aether, and eventually, um, Bor, the father of Odin, seals away this Aether for a long-ass time, um, never to be touched for the nearby future. Um, then Loki, um, uh, is being, you know, put on trial for his guards, uh, for his crimes at Earth, um, and is, you know, put in prison for what he's done. Um, and Thor is really just, like, adjusting to life back on Asgard after spending, like, all his time on Earth and having these, having having these experiences on Earth in general, like, you see, in a deleted scene, um, you see, a, you see, well, not a deleted scene, but, like, no, yeah, not the deleted scene stuff, but, like, <laughs> you see him, like, almost, like, you know, enjoying his time with, like, the Warriors 3 and Sif, um, but he still misses Jane, and so, eventually, they, um, reunite in some way, and everything's, and everything's good, um, after Jane, um, Stumbles upon the Aether after noticing sort of a, like, I noticing like this like this point in reality where the laws of physics are being weird and wonky and disruptive, and so um, she is infected by the Aether per Wikipedia's description of this, um, and ultimately reconvenes with Thor and Heimdall and the Asgardians to um, sort of help her out because um, after Foster finds the Aether, um, she quote, inadvertently releases an unearthly force. And so Thor must take her to Asgard to Yikes. sort of help her, I guess, sort of, I guess, you know, help her, like, you know, be, like, cure her, essentially. Um, Jane meets Loki. She slaps him. He was like, and she's like, that was for New York. And Loki's like, I like this girl. Like, obviously with, like, yeah. clear, like, Tom Hilson, like, sort of putting his own, like, spins to, like, help make this movie more enjoyable and palatable. Um, and, let me see, um, um, initially you also get some scenes of, like, um, you also get some scenes, um, with Malekith, um, sort of awaken after, um, Jane releases the Aether. You, um, see, you see, like, a lot of, like, dark elf scenes, 
no one's speaking English. Christopher Eccleston was like semi wasted. He used to be my favorite doctor for a while before I stopped watching the show. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but um, after Malcolm awakens, he invades um, Thor Dark World. Um, and in the process of this battle, um, he kills Frigga, um, Thor's mother. And Loki is very clearly grieving. Like he um, explodes. Like he's using his magic to sort of, like, destroy. Like you see, like. When Thor visits him, like, in his cell, like, Loki's cell is, like, destroyed. Like, he's a mess. He's in grief. And he wants to, um, to not, um, pun intended, um, avenge, sort of, his mother's death and, like, Asgard. And, like, sort of try to do something right. But mostly, purely out of the love he has, like, for his mother. Like, you know, just, like, Odin, Thor, like, Loki really doesn't care. But, like... For him, like, there's a bunch of scenes that establish, like, the emotional backstory and connection and bond that Loki and Frigga have. And, like, how Frigga's understanding of, like, Loki sort of, you know, is the one thing he's really connected to in Asgard in general. Um, so Thor and Loki eventually try to, eventually try to, um, confront Malekith themselves, like, escape through Asgard. There's a bunch of scenes that, um, Joss Whedon was, um, airlifted in. Um, to help sort of freshen up and like write yeah. you see yeah, like so says the director airlifted in uh, obviously exaggerating but that's an interesting uh, image <laughs> yeah like there's a bunch of scenes of like loki and thor like, having like this banter um this happens this these scenes happen for like a fairly long time i think marvel knew that like this was the stuff like, like they knew like loki was what people loved and so they just put more of loki in as like a fun banter and stuff like Loki transforms it's like Chris Evans and is like, you know, swinging around being like, hey, like patriotism, America, like USA, USA. Um Yeah, he's ta- he's like, taunting he's taunting um Thor. Thor. He's like, Hey, or maybe I should just be like one of your new friends or something like that. Yeah. Um it's a fun cameo. It's a very fun cameo. And Chris Evans like was a very like just a champ, like being in that it was super fun. Um What a sport. Yeah. yeah um Thor also goes with Jane and the other Warriors 3. Um, you see Thor has, like, learned from Earth and almost, that, like, he's smarter in some senses. Like, this is cla- there's this line, like, as I sort of moment, like, Loki's, like, ran to Thor, but, like, well done. Like, you've, like, done all these great things. Like, they're still in my tail. Like, they're being, like, like, we're not gonna get anywhere. Like, you're so dumb. And, like, lo- Thor pushes Loki, like, out of the ship onto, like, another small ship that they're gonna use to sort of gets where they're going. And Loki says, you lied to me. I'm impressed. And it shows you that Thor has learned, like, from his time on Earth, like, become, like, a little bit more smarter and not as, like, the quote-unquote, like, dumb jock he's, like, sort of passed off as in, like, in the MCU. Um, yeah. So after Loki tricks, um, after, like, Loki and, like, Thor go to, like, uh, Malekith, like, on his, like, Malekith's own planet, um, they pull the Aether out of Foster, um, and try to destroy it in some ways, but um, ways. But eventually, they have to take their fight to Earth um, in yeah, London. Like, you can't just destroy the. I mean, you know, a little later it's Infinity Stone, but like that, uh, it's kind of short sighted. But yeah, they yeah. have to go to Earth. Um, but you also forgot that Loki died. <laughs> yes, right. I did forget that. I thought Loki died later, but you're absolutely right. Loki does die. <clears throat> Loki uh, sacrifice nobly sacrifices his life 
to save Thor from the uh, from curse. Kind of like the, you know, again, there's always a asshole right-handed man with these villains in Phase 2. Uh, but he sacrifices his life to kill that dude. Uh, he dies in, in um, Thor's arms, and like Thor's like, I will tell father what you did. And he says, I didn't do it for him. Uh, so yeah, Loki's dead. <laughs> yeah, totally dead. <laughs> yeah, um, wink, wink. But you get you get some hints that might not be the case. So yeah, they go they go to Earth. Um, Thor recruits um, Selvig and Darcy Selvig, who's still kind of like kind of nutso from his experience being brainwashed by Loki in the Avengers. And yes. basically, Malekith wants to use the convergence of all of the nine realms. Uh, to use the Aether to spread darkness around the world. And he's doing this in London, uh, which happens to be where, you know, everyone is. So yeah, there's a there's a big London fight scene between Thor and Malekith. There's some, uh, some gags there, but ultimately uh, Thor triumphs. Uh, a Malekith dies when a fucking ship lands on him. <laughs> and... And yeah, what happens after that? Thor returns to Asgard, um, and you know talks with Odin um, about like sort of one saying Asgard and like help him rule. Like there's been this underlying conflict of like throughout the movie of like where Thor's where Thor's almost quote unquote like home lies. Is it Asgard or is it like Earth? Like where is he drawn to more? And Thor says, um, you know, I think I'm gonna stay more on Earth and like help them out there. Um, so he declines Odin's offer to stay. And goes back to Earth, and then we see Odin transform into Loki, holding Odin's scepter, and and from what we assume, impersonating Odin amongst Asgard. And the only thing you need to know about this movie is that fact that Odin is now Loki um, throughout the rest of Phase Two, and that there's an Infinity Stone in this movie. Yeah. That's literally all you need to know for Thor: Dark World. For Avengers Endgame. Yep, they give it uh, Volstag and Sif. They uh, go to the Collector, played by Benicio Del Toro. And they uh, they they give it to him. And the Collector says, one down, five to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, the post-credits is Jane and Thor reuniting. Uh, Natalie Portman was unavailable, so <laughs> Chris Hemsworth, real life, uh, nah, Elsa Pataki was the one who made out with Hemsworth. So Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, Two years after, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you, you meet Sam Wilson, you know, there's this funny scene where uh, Sam Wilson played by... On your left. He keeps getting passed. Yeah, on your he's left. getting passed by Steve Rogers, who on your is left. Um, <laughs> based in Washington, D.C. He's doing work for, um, for S.H.I.E.L.D. He has a list of stuff he needs to catch up on because he's in the modern day now. Uh, Black Widow, again, played by Scarlett Johansson, uh, picks him up. They go on a mission. Uh, they meet up with the strike leader, uh, Brock Rumlow, and they have to basically uh, take back this shield vessel, the Lemurian Star, which has uh, Agent, Jasper si- Agent Jasper Sidwell from uh, Thor and the Avengers and a bunch of other technical personnel. Steve has a stealth suit. He beats the shit out of everyone in a very cool uh, way. He kind of beats... he. He beats this this dude, George, George's Batroc, played by uh, George St. Pierre, who I believe is an MMA fighter. And um, he gets upset because they're, they received hostages, but Black Widow is there to um, basically up like download this intel that the Marine Star had. So yeah, this, this 
George Spatrock, this French dude, this character, escapes. Um, Steve Rogers complains to Nick Fury in the Triskelion, which is the base, the headquarters of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Washington, D.C. Sam Jackson's like, hey, let me show you a thing. So they go to this, like, the secret hangar. They are making three new helicarriers. Uh, you remember the helicarriers from Avengers 1? And they have repulsor technology, and it's for this thing called Project Insight, which is basically to do, like, preemptive strikes. Like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna murder some bad people before they're even able to do crimes, and... This isn't freedom. This is fear, Chris. Yeah, Steve Rogers is not for this. He is for, you know, punishment comes after the crime. He is for, um... It's a, it's a philosophical debate, and, uh... Steve Rogers walks away, you know? He doesn't really like this. But whatever. So we kind of do like day in the life. Um, he's visiting the Air and Space Museum and he sees this exhibit ex- uh, dedicated to himself. He's in disguise. And by disguise, I mean he's wearing a cap. Uh, you see a old film of Peggy Carter kind of describing Steve Rogers. And then you, f- you find out that she's still alive. She's, um, she's bedridden. And it's this really heartbreaking scene where they're kind of catching up. And, uh, literally the moment, um, Peggy, you know, she starts coughing and looks away, but the moment she looks back at him, she goes through that whole, oh, Steve, it's you, you're alive again. Uh, he had to, she just lost his memory. She has some sort of dementia or, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, more likely. Uh, really heartbreaking. But, yeah, you get, you get tastes of Peggy Carter, you get tastes of Bucky Barnes. Uh, he was part of the exhibit, so, you know, they were saying he's the only... Howling Commando, who gave his life. Um, so Nick Fury is suspicious because he can't access those files that Natasha got from the Lemurian Star. He tries to ask Robert Redford, uh, who plays Defense Secretary Alexander Pierce, the liaison to the World Security Council, you may remember from Avengers 1. Uh, but Fury's like, hey, we gotta delay this project inside. There's something fishy going on. Uh, Steve Rogers meets up with Sam Wilson, who is... Uh, basically counseling other veterans who suffer from PTSD. Uh, Sam Wilson was in the, um, he was a paratrooper, and he lost his wingman, Riley. And Steve's like, I don't really know what else I would do if I, you know, weren't doing this fight. Uh, Fury gets into a crazy car chase. (laughs) These guys disguised as cops. Um, go after him, and he is severely injured, but he is able to make it, but some mysterious figure in a mask shows up. He blows up Nick Fury's car, but he's still able to escape. Uh, but yeah, this mysterious figure is very Terminator-esque. There's this kind of technical, there's like this droning, uh, sound effect whenever he shows up. It's very creepy. Um... Steve Rogers is back in his apartment. He he has a little flirtatious scene with uh, with a neighbor who is a nurse played by Emily Van Camp. Um, but she informs him, "Oh, it sounds like you left your stereo on." And he's like, uh, "Oh, cool." But he didn't leave his stereo on, so he sneaks into his own apartment. He finds an injured Nick Fury who who um, through text messages like on his phone uh, because. His apartment is clearly bugged, he says. Uh, Shield's been compromised. Um, Nick Fury gets shot through the wall. See this uh, mysterious figure. Uh, he's 
know, we can say he's the Winter Soldier. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Snipes Nick Fury. Steve Rogers goes in pursuit. He cannot. He can't catch him, but he notices that he has a metal arm. He freaking catches his shield. Which, which, uh, by the way, out. yeah. Which, by the way, sorry, to, sorry, to cut you off. By the way, in the trailer when that happened, that was by far the coolest shot I had ever seen. I was like, holy shit! When I was like 15, 16, I'm like, oh my god, that's so fucking cool. It's like, ha! Yeah. And then he throws it back instead of keeping it. That was kind of a bonehead move, but yeah. Steve Stever like is actually Agent Thirty. Yeah. Is uh, Agent Thirteen of Shield? Um, Nick Fury f- uh, fucking dies. You know, right when um, Agent Hill uh, Maria Hill arrives, um, Nat is upset. She's like, "Hey, what the hell was Nick Fury doing in your apartment?" But you know, Strike calls um, Steve Rogers. They, you know, Alexander Pierce wants to talk to him, and Nat's like, "Hey, um, why was Nick in your apartment?" And, you know, Steve, knowing that show's been compromised, doesn't say anything. He leaves. He goes on the elevator. Uh, all of these big dudes, including the Strike dudes, including Brock Rumlow, uh, again, played by Frank Grillo, um, they try to subdue him. Before um, we do anything, I'm going to want to get out. And then fighting ensues. Yeah. yeah um, no, Steve beats the shit out of them. And he escapes. Um, Jasper Sitwell... Um, you find is dirty because he's tr- he's um, uh, commanding you know all these shield and strike dudes to capture Steve Rogers, but Steve Rogers escapes. He does a cool thing on his motorcycle. He throws a shield at a Quinjet and he escapes. Uh, it's very cool. But Alexander Pierce says yes, Captain America is now a fugitive of Shield. He did he lied to us. He did not tell us why Nick Fury was there. Um, Steve tries to, um, retrieve this USB flash drive that Nick Fury gave him before his supposed death, uh, but not, you know, Natasha <laughs> retrieved instead and starts questioning Steve. Uh, now they're in cahoots with each other. They are trying to, um, they're trying to escape from S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, Nat gives him the lowdown on the Winter Soldier, uh, this assassin with, what, like, 200 assassinations. Um... But yeah, the World Security Council uh, votes to reenact Project Insight. They think that Nick Fury was doing some shady shit. Uh, Steve and Natasha, through some, um, you know, some investigative work, they're able to avoid Brock Rumlow and the other S.H.I.E.L.D. and Strike dudes, and they uh, they end up at Steve's old training base in New Jersey, where he trained in the first Avenger. Sorry, Captain America, colon, the first Avenger. Not the first Avengers movie. I know it's very confusing. And they find a secret SSR, SSR being the predecessor to S.H.I.E.L.D. They find an old SSR base, and they find another base beneath that base, and they find Arnon Zola, who is computerized at this point. He's just literally a screen, like, uh, but it's still his consciousness in this computer, and he basically tells Steve and Nat, hey, Hydra still existed, like, it, it lived on. It never uh, left. Through, uh, um, yeah, through Operation Paperclip, which was a real thing when the U.S. government hired Nazi scientists. Great idea. But because of Zola and other people, they infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra grew within S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, a missile blows up the base, presumably, you know, killing Zola once and for all. 
Um, Pierce is in cahoots with the Winter Soldier. He tells them to assassinate Steve Rogers. Uh, Steve and Natasha, um, they end up at Sam Wilson's house. Like, hey, everyone else is trying to kill us. Can we, can we, you know, some slack? <laughs> stay with you. Yeah, um, Nat is kind of, like, um, traumatized because she's like, oh, I, I did some dirty shit back then, and I thought I'd be doing good by working with S.H.I.E.L.D., turns out I'd be working, working for HYDRA. Uh, but, you know, they, they make a plan, um, they decide to, they, uh, they take back this suit that Sam Wilson had, this military project called Falcon, um, and then they decide to kidnap Jasper Sitwell, who met up with Senator Stern from Iron Man 2, uh, Senator Stern being a total perv, but he's also he's Hydra. <laughs> and uh, thanks I to Falcon, yeah, yeah. I think this was like a scene, I guess, that was like kind of like memed a little bit, but like the scene like where Sitwell goes to, like hug, um, like just like give like a bro Hell hug to like Senator Stern, and they whisper, and he whispers Hell Hydra, yeah. and that became like a good Marvel yeah. meme for a hot minute. Yeah. It was a template of like him just like what whispering weird things or like or like other scenes of people whispering and they say hail hydra instead yeah uh yeah good stuff so they extract some information from sitwell um project insight is basically to literally murder anyone who is a potential threat to hydra uh, through an algorithm from Zola. So they want to use Sidwell to basically get into these helicarriers, but Winter Soldier catches them. He he throws Sidwell out of the car they're in onto the other lane of oncoming traffic, and he gets freaking murdered by a truck. So there goes Jasper Sidwell, a guy you thought was a good guy, but he's actually not. Now he's um, flat, <laughs> flattened by a truck, let's say. Um, there's this big fight scene uh, between... Um, Winter Soldier and these Hydra agents and Steve, Stan- Steve, Sam, and Nat. A little tongue twister for you. And, you know, Nat gets shot by the Winter Soldier. Uh, Steve saves her and, like, gets into a little brawl. Um, and the Winter Soldier's mask comes off. And guess who it is, Izzy? It's Bucky. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and he says, who the hell is Bucky? Um, Sam Falcon kicks him, but um, Winter Soldier gets away. Rumlo and the rest of Strike shows up, and they arrest Steve, Sam, and Natasha. Uh, they are transported in a prison van. They're going. They're about to be executed. Like this is pretty. Some this is some dark shit. But turns out Maria Hill is in disguise as one of these Hydra soldiers and saves them. And takes them to a secret uh, facility where Nick Fury is still alive. He used a some sort of uh, serum that slowed down his heartbeat. And then they make a plan. They're going to change the targeting uh, chips of the helicarriers and make them target each other rather than, you know, all of their enemies. And Fury's like, well, let's try to salvage this. And Steve Rogers is like, no, we gotta take S.H.I.E.L.D. down. It's been compromised. S.H.I.E.L.D. is going away. Mm-hmm. Fury says, looks like you're giving the orders now, Cap. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're at a dam, and uh, Joe Russo, the co-director, plays the doctor who treats him. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Bucky starts to kind of remember Steve, so they erase his memory again. It's, it's really heartbreaking. Steve reminisces his time about Bucky. They have this really like wonderful flashback of the two of them uh, during their 
their days in the 40s. But uh, Cap, you know, Cap and Sam, they have a talk and, you know, Steve will do whatever it takes, even if it means hurting his friends. So he steals his old suit from the Smithsonian, from the Air and Space Museum. Uh, Stanley is a security guard, says, oh, well, man, I'm so fired. They get to the Triskelion. Um, Steve makes the, he break, you know, they, they break into this control room. Steve, uh, gives a speech over the intercom, which, uh, everyone in S.H.I.E.L.D. hears. Um, the World Security Council is there with Alexander Pierce. They hear it. And, you know, Strike and Alexander Pierce, they are made. Their cover is blown. Um, so there's, like, a crazy Mexican standoff, you know, like, in the control room of the helicarriers. Um, Agent 13 tries to defend, um, you know, the technicians while Rumlo tries to, like, um, you know, kind of strong arm his way into it. And, um, things go awry. The, everyone starts shooting each other and Rumlo's able to release the helicarriers. Uh, Cap and Falcon, they go in pursuit, they, you know, put the chips on, um, they, they get two out of three of these helicarriers. Uh, meanwhile, Nat is disguised as one of the members of the World Security Council, uh, and is able to, uh, like, take Pierce hostage, and, and um, save the other council people. Nick Fury shows up, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm alive. <laughs> And what Nat does is uh, upload all of this information, like kind of, uh, this is around the time of Edward Snowden, uh, Edward Snowden and they uh, put up all this incriminating information up online, even though it means, like, Nat is <laughs> putting herself out there, too. Um, Pierce sets off some uh, pins that he put on the Security Council members, and they all fucking die, except for Nat. Uh... They basically hold, he basically holds her hostage, but Nat outsmarts him, and uh, Fury shoots Alexander Pierce, and somehow the director's got Robert Redford to say, Hail Hydra. Winter <laughs> um, Soldier's on the loose. He goes in pursuit of Cap. Uh, they get into a fight while Cap is trying to get that last chip in. Uh, Sam Wilson is incapacitated. His wing gets ripped off by Bucky. So he parachutes on back to the Triskelion, where he tries to fight Rumlo. Um, it's a really emotional battle between Steve and Bucky, but um, he says a line that he says, I'm with you till the end of the line, which is also in the flashback that you see earlier in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Steve, yeah um, Steve gets the chip in, and then, you know he, he doesn't leave because he's trying to save Bucky, but, you know... Steve is knocked unconscious, he falls off, and Bucky actually saves him um, after he falls in the river. In the... What river is it in D.C.? The, um... I, I don't know. It's pot- okay. It starts with a P. The, like the Potomac? Yes, that's it. That is it. Um, so yeah, Steve's in the hospital bed, they retrieve the shield. Um, Sam Wilson has Trouble Man from Marvin Gaye playing in the background, because that's what he recommended <laughs> to him in his little list of stuff to catch up on. Uh, you see that Maria Hill now works for Stark Industries. Agent 13, whose name is Sharon, now works for the CIA. And, uh, Senator Stern gets arrested. Brock Rumlow, the fucking building collapsed on him, but he's still alive, even though he's, like, horribly scarred. And Nick Fury, uh, erases all traces of his existence. He, like, 
He uses his eye patch and he just like burns a truck of all this shit. And uh, they meet at Nick Fury's uh, fake grave. Um, Sam, Steve, and Nat are there. Uh, and they basically decide, hey, let's find Bucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, mid-credits. Um, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker and Dr. List, these two Hydra mustache-trilling cronies, they're, they're like, yep, we're out. They, they, they got us, but we still have Loki Scepter, and we use this thing to make some super people. You see... Um, the Maximovs, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen. Um, PHR has super speed, and, uh, Wanda has some crazy, like, Stuff. telekinesis thing going on. Yeah. It's the Age of Miracles. Yeah. Finally, you see Bucky in the museum, and he sees himself, and he's like, what? Trying to learn more about himself. Guardians of the Galaxy, is he? Yeah. So you op- so you open, um, it's pretty somber. Um, 10 CCs, like a non-loves in the background. You focus on like this kid who wasn't actually in it, I just realized. I forgot the actor's name right now. But like you focus in on this kid, um, it's listening on his walkman in a hospital. Um and, like his grandfather says, like, you know, Peter, like you know, she can see your mom. He found his mom's dying of cancer. Um, and so the mom asks cancer, like the mom asks this kid, like, yeah, like, what's been going on at school? And you know, a kid, like, Peter, this kid, is, like, telling him about, like, how these bullies were trying to, like, hurt this, like, animal, and, the, you know, didn't really do anything, and his mom points out how, like, how much of a good heart he's had, and she's, like, take my hand, Peter, take my hand, and she's, and he was, like, no, like, I don't want to, and then he, and then this mom fucking dies, and Peter is completely, like, traumatizing, very scarred, he's, like, mom, like, oh my god, like, mom, like, Oh no, like I lost my math. Like he's like, oh god, like my mom's like, no, he lost his last mask. Mom, I'm sad. Um, a distraught Peter runs outside, um, uh, runs outside of the hospital, like just out, um, outside. And you see a huge alien spaceship, like in the 80s, like come and like warp Peter up into the ship and take him to somewhere, essentially. We don't really know where, but. That was a really somber way and sad way to start the movie. Like, we yeah, play this clip. listening to his mixtape on his Walkman, and uh, like, it's it's very emotional. He will not open the gifts that his mom gave him. Yeah. Um, and all that uh, stuff. Your father will pick you up soon, she says. Mm-hmm. Yes. And 26 years later, um, you open on this kid. Um, you open on this adult in like, this long red coat. It's like, looking around like this cave, like, wondering what's going on. And you hear him play a song of his movement. And you realize this is this kid, Peter Quill, who's grown up. Um, and the movie starts. So very distinct tonal shift, which I personally appreciated. So yeah, so you see Peter in this cave. Um, and he goes out and he finds um, this orb. Um, and he's sort of threatened by um, Xandar police led by Jimin Hansu and uh, or Korath. They're not they're not Xandar police. No, they're they're bad guys. They work I, for Ronan the Accuser played by Lee Pace. I got got I got mixed up. But yes, you're completely right. They are Cree <laughs> people and I just mixed up mixed things up. But he's like but Jimin Hansu is like who are you? And Peter Quill goes like Star-Lord. Um and she almost like and like um Korath's like who? And you see um, 
Peter Quill fight off these bad guys, um, eventually escape into his ship, and you figure out he's not only just running from, like, the Kree, but also he's running from Yondu and the Ravagers, um, kind of sense that, like, Peter wants to sort of break free of, like, the Ravagers and, like, also all the run from them as well, so he goes to the, he goes to Xandar to try to sell this orb, um, I sell this orb to, um, you know, his dealer there, um, and then he mentions, like, the scuffle he got in, the sort of seller gets like, super scared and, like, ushers Peter out, saying, like, oh, no, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to make enemies of, like, these people. Um, and ushers Peter out. And, um, yeah, Peter's, like, I guess a little buttered because, um, as he says to Gamora, who he later meets, um, hey, when people back out of a deal, you know? Like, can't stand it. Sure. Um, can't stand it. Um, and this is where you first, um, see Peter and Gamora interact. Gamora, um, tinted throughout. Um, so Chris mentioned the Kree that are after Peter. Um, you figure out that Gamora, um, in some ways is working with these Kree alongside her sister, Nebula. Um, and they're trying to obtain, like, also obtain this orb. Um, so Gamora is sent to go find this orb as well. And so she takes it from Peter and a huge, like, scuffle um ensues like a chase up like the Xandarian streets and you meet the rest of the guardians um well two of them you meet rocket and Groot and rocket and Groot are just like essentially really just bounty hunters um you know searching for a score They're raccoon like, in a tree yep yep that's pretty much what they are a ra- raccoon in a tree um and yeah you see rocket like just you know see like oh this kid peter like he's worth a lot so they're gonna try to capture him and so um, alongside, like, Peter and Gamora, like, on the run, like, uh, just sort of fighting for this orb, you have Rocket and Groot also in the mix, like, trying to, you know, also, you know, fight and, like, compete for, like, their own slice of money. And so, um, amongst all that, um, they eventually are apprehended, um, and sort of caught by, this, this is when they're caught by Zandarian police, and they're sent to prison. Um... By sent to prison by the Nova Corps, um, yeah. And in prison, this is where they first meet Drax. Drax um, is pretty angry at Gamora because he uh, because Gamora's father Thanos um, and Ronan uh, essentially wiped out Drax's home planet along with his wife and child. So he's got a bone to pick with her. Um, Although this is also when Gamora reveals that she betray- she's oh, she was trying to betray Roman. She didn't want Ronan. She didn't want to take the orb to give back to him. She didn't want she wanted to take the orb and sell it to her own buyer, which um, you know, we'll eventually find out at some point. Um and so she works together with Quill with Peter Quill, um, Rock Raccoon, Groot, and Drax to help her escape um, prison, um, and go out to her buyer and try to sell this orb. Um, and they eventually escape. Um, you know, Rock has like a great Rock has Rock has this plan that involves like getting a battery out of a security camera, um, and some guy's leg, and a calm sort of device. Um, but yeah, they eventually escape on Peter's ship, the Milano. Um, and yeah, we also see a couple of scenes um, interspersed of like Ronan, um, and his own like sort of hatred against like the Xandarian Empire. Um Ruler Ronan is a Cree. Um and sort of like his like, totalitarian totalitarian like thoughts like 
Cree over like overall like Cree rule um, against that and whatnot. Yeah, he he is a he is a terrorist. He is he he is an extremist. Yes, he is not he is not exactly official Cree Empire uh, authority. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You see a couple shots of Thanos. You see Thanos over a camera. You see Thanos um, in a chair in person. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants the orb. Yeah, and he's taunting Ronan to get him what he needs, essentially. Um, boy. Boy, you defy me. Um, yeah, so before um, so before Gamora and the other Guardians go to meet um, Gamora's buyer, um... No, they're just hanging out, essentially. Like, all the guards are just really hanging out, like, a bit um, at this bar um, on Nowhere, where um, Kamora's buyer is. And there's a little, I guess, like, hints at a romantic, like, connection between, like, Peter and Gamora until Gamora promptly knees him, and knees Peter in the nuts, um, saying she will not submit to Peter's... She's not reciprocating. Um, this was pelvic sorcery. Yes. Thank you. Um, yes. Great line. You And then they also find out that, like, Root and Drax and Rocket all got in the fight. You um, see, like, Ro- all got in the fight. You see Rocket very much, like, express, like, his struggles and his drunken state of, like, he thinks he's, like, a, he thinks he's, like, a freak, like, a monster. Um, and you see, like, those very inner feelings. Um, feelings? Um, and after um, Peter calms him down, um, Gamora goes to, um, you know, meet with her buyer, takes the rest of the Guardians with her. Um, and you see that Gamora's buyer is the collector from um, Sword Dark World, that one scene. Um, and this is when he explains to the Guardians about the Infinity Stones. Um, and before, explain that the orb, and yeah, he also explains that the orb is um, one of those stones, specifically the Power Stone, which means it has um, essentially um, over its history, it's been known to wipe out several civilizations. Um. Yeah, and yeah, the, and these so, these are all these are singularities, right? They are ready by before creation itself, and they're they have you know immense power. The aether is the reality stone. The tesseract is the space stone, and that's all. I think that's all we know at the, at this time. Yes. Um. Yes. And uh, the collector's servant. Um. I think she's nameless. So she sort of here hears this power. Eventually, she attempts to take it. And she's like, I will not be your slave. And in trying to touch the power stone, she destroys the collector's entire collection. And being scared by this power, um, Peter attempts to like Peter attempts to like coerce her group. It's like, yeah, guys, we should like run. This is dangerous. And Gamora tries to convince Peter. Well, also don't for, don't for, don't forget that she, like she died from that. Oh because, yeah, because she cannot stand the power. You know, <laughs> this is not for mortals. Yes. She tried to hold it and she did not succeed. This woman tried to hold it and did not succeed. But while Gamora is trying to coax Peter and convince Peter into having some more no- like no- sort of like noble purpose, we find out that a drunk Drax um, summoned Roman to nowhere to, um, yeah, to try to, I guess, like combat him and take him on. Um, and as they're sort of like all, and like as like a fight like ensues, um, Ronan defeats Drax, um, very much like Taunton's like, yeah, I don't remember killing your family, but, um, I remember, like, you know, like, I remember, like, you, like, as you die, and, like, whatnot. Um, essentially, the guards are split up, um, 
Peter saves Gamora flying through space. Um, and um, yeah, Peter saves Gamora flying through space after Nebula destroys her ship. Um, and um, Rocket and Drax and Groot are also all pretty beaten down um, as well. Um, additionally, um, Peter contacts Yondu as almost like a last resort kind of deal. Um, try to save them both. Um, Rocket, Drax, and Groot are still like on nowhere themselves. Um, but yeah, um, and then you sort of like learn like um, so let's sort of learn more about like Yondu and like Peter's sort of whole story with him. Um, and Peter makes deals with Yondu like you know if you like help us out like I'll give you the orb and whatnot and he's like sure fine. Um, well that's what Yondu wants and like Peter's like yeah sure fine. Um, when they eventually, like, gather up all the Guardians again, um, Quill and the Ravager, Quill, like, sort of rallies up, like, his Guardians to sort of, you know, go fight Ronin, um, you know, save, Zan uh, save like, Xandar, um, and they become, like, almost like someone of a family in those sort of senses, and sort of resolve to fight together, and with the Ravager's help, um, they go out to, um, yeah, they go out to, uh, fight Ronin, um, Eventually, like they were able to save Xandar and all that through a um, a dance battle, I guess. Um, Ronan crashes. Right. Yeah. They they get the help of the Nova Corps. They they bring down the ship, and Ronan still survives. But they are able to distract him with the uh, with Peter Quill's stupidity, and it's like, yeah, dance battle. So he kind of like throws Ronan off. Um, they are able to destroy his uh, his hammer, which houses the Power Stone. Uh, Peter catches it, and he's about to, like, fucking get wrecked by this thing, but they all hold hands. All the Guardians hold hands. Um, minus Groot, who died saving the rest of them as the ship was crashing. And, uh, Vernon's like, how can this be? Peter says, uh, you said yourself. We're the Guardians because, you know, of the Galaxy. mocking them, obviously. Yeah, we're the Guardians of the Galaxy. They blow up. Ronin with the Power Stone. They put it back in a different orb. And, you know, they give it to Yondu. You find out that they gave uh, Yondu a fake. They give the real Power Stone to the Nova Corps, um, who was led by a character played by Glenn Close. Yes. And uh, they recreate They recreate the Milano, of course, named after Melissa Milano. Uh, Alyssa Milano, uh, Peter Cole's ship. Um, they fly off. Peter finally opens his gift, which was Awesome Mix Volume Two. Um, you know, plays it on the soundtrack. Uh, plays it on his tape on his uh, what what do you call it? The stereo system. And yes, it's very emotional. Then they fly off. Uh, meanwhile, Rocket tries to regrow Groot, and he turns into a little baby, a little baby well, stick. Exactly. Adorable, starts dancing. I know it's it's so adorable, but they're like, yeah. We finally beat Ronan, but Drax is like, yeah, but Thanos is still the real enemy. I got, I want to kill him next. <laughs> so they, yeah, they fly off. Guardians got the Guardians of the Galaxy will return. Uh, the Collector is bummed out uh, in the post credit scene that his collection is destroyed, but Howard the Duck is there to further annoy him, I guess. Yeah, and that's Guardians of the Galaxy. How are the ducks there? Yeah. And that's Guardians of the Galaxy. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then we get to Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, again, written and directed by Joss Whedon. Uh, the Avengers, from their own adventures, they kind of don't have a home anymore, <laughs> so they all, they're just the Avengers. Uh, they are all together. 
you begin kind of in the middle of a mission, kind of like a James Bond kind of deal, where you see a, uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man, uh, Steve Rogers as Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye attacking Baron Von's Baron Von Strucker's base in the fictional country of Sokovia in Eastern Europe. They're trying to get Loki's staff, and they are able to retrieve it. They are able to capture Strucker, but they encounter Pietro and Wanda Maximoff, the enhanced twins. Uh, but uh, Tony Stark gets a vision, uh, courtesy of Wanda's powers of you know those leviathan big metal dragon things coming back to earth and the other avengers being dead and steve rogers saying you could have saved us before dying of course that's just a horrific nightmare fantasy but it obviously affects tony stark who you know is still traumatized from the first avengers movie but you know they get the gem from the scepter and it turns out it has this uh it's it's like alive it's like an artificial intelligence and they want to use it to uh, rather, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, they secretly want to make Ultron, which is a global defense program, because Tony's tired of them having to save the world all the time. Uh, there's a fun party. Uh, Rhodey is there. Sam Wilson is there. Uh, <laughs> Stan Lee is there. Uh, after the party, it's mainly just the, the core Avengers and Rhodey and Maria Hill. Um... They try to lift Thor's hammer, but none of them are worthy. And then uh, Ultron, voiced by James Spader, arrives. He uses a um, Iron Legion drone, which is kind of damaged by some protesters in Sokovia. He's like, you know, there are no strings on me, yada yada yada. He just he has decided that uh, after apparently killing Jarvis, the AI of Tony Stark, uh, and doing a lot of doing some research online, that the Avengers are actually a huge threat to the world, and he they must be destroyed. Um, there's a scuffle, and Ultron is able to escape, but steals the scepter once again. Uh, and then he kind of goes all out. He makes a new body. He recruits the Maximoffs. He kills Strucker in his prison. And, um, the Avengers track him to South America. South Africa. They're in Johannesburg. And they track Ulysses Claw, who is an arms dealer played by Andy Serkis of Lord of the Rings fame. Uh, he has stolen vibranium from Wakanda. Ultron wants some of this. Uh, Ultron gets mad at him for comparing... He gets mad at Claw for comparing him to Tony Stark and chops off the Claw's arm <laughs> with his... Uh, but yeah, the the Avengers are—they battle all these henchmen from Claw, and they battle the Maximoffs. But uh, as Tony is pursuing Ultron, uh, Wanda, uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, puts these visions in everyone else's head except for Clint Barton, who uh, you know is kind of tired of the whole brainwashing thing. But you know, Thor, Black Widow, and Steve Rogers all have um, horrific visions of some sort um thor's kind of prophesizing ragnarok black widow being a flashback to her vi very violent training as black widow and steve having a sort of hypothetical like what if i returned home after the war um but there's this big battle scene because scarred witch gets to hulk and uh puts something in his head and he hulks out, he attacks Johannesburg, uh, Tony subdues him using the Hulkbuster armor, 
everyone is really reeling from how terrible everything just was, so they hide out in uh, Hawkeye's farm, where he, it turns out he has a wife played by Lena Carlini and uh, two kids, and they are expecting another kid soon. Thor decides to leave to investigate. He gets Selvig to help him uh, figure out what his vision means. Nick Fury is just in Clint's barn <laughs> and uh, helps them plan things out. They decide to go to South Korea to stop Ultron because he's trying to use Avengers uh, ally Helen Cho, Dr. Helen Cho, to uh, basically use the Vibranium and the Scepter's Gem, which is actually the Mind Stone, to create a new body for Ultron. Uh, Wanda finds out Ultron's true mission to destroy Earth, uh, betrays Ultron, Ultron tries to escape, uh, the Avengers are in pursuit, uh, but Romanoff gets captured. Uh, they are able to take the body, though. Uh, they fight amongst themselves, the Avengers, they fight amongst themselves, because Stark wants to put Jarvis, who is still alive, um, into this new body, and Cap's like, no, we can't do this again. But Thor shows up, he powers up the body, and it turns into Vision. Uh, Vision is like this really cool-looking android, voiced by Paul Bettany. <laughs> uh, played by Paul Bettany, who voiced um, Jarvis. And uh, he's like, I'm on the side of life. And he proved himself because he's able to lift Thor's hammer. <laughs> Shockingly. So they, they, the Avengers and the Maximoffs and Vision, they go to Sokovia to confront Ultron, who has a bigger body now. Um, they save Natasha. They try to evacuate the city, but it starts f like lifting from the ground up. The city, the capital, not the capital city, but a city of Sokovia. Um, basically, Ultron's plan is to drop the city, and it'll basically be like a giant meteorite that will wipe out life on Earth. Uh, that way they can all start over. Um, the Avengers fight. <laughs> they they are able to evacuate the civilians. Uh, Rhodey shows up to help a little bit. Fury and Marie Hill show up on a helic and the old helicarrier. And um, unfortunately, Pietro Maximoff Quicksilver is killed trying to save Clint Barton and a child. Uh, which leads to Wanda destroying Ultron's body. Um, the city begins to plummet. Everyone is able to get out. Uh, Tony Stark and Thor destroy the landmass. They blow up the city. The helicarrier flies away with all the evacuees. And uh, Vision is able to find and destroy Ultron's last body. Um, Hulk um, is flying away from the Quinjet after throwing Ultron out of there. And, uh, but he keeps flying. He will not turn back, so Hulk is missing. Uh, the Avengers have a new base in, I think, upstate, like, no, not upstate New York, but, like, outside the city. And, um, Tony retires, Clint retires, Thor flies off to figure out about the Infinity Stones, uh, Rogers, uh, Steve Rogers and Agent Romanoff, sorry, she's not an agent anymore, Natasha Romanoff, they train, they decide to train James Rhodes, the Vision, Falcon, and Wanda as the new Avengers. Uh, meanwhile... Thanos says, fine, I'll do it myself, and he gets an empty Infinity Gauntlet. And that's almost the that's almost the end of Phase 2, but you get Ant-Man, which I'll sum up really quickly. It's it's basically um what Hank Pym's played by Michael Douglas. He resigns from Shield in 1989. Uh there's like this flashback in the Triskelion. Uh but he in the present day he recruits Scott Lang, uh this 
ex-convict played by Paul Rudd to basically become the new Ant-Man to the chagrin of Hope Van Dyne, his daughter played by Evangeline Lilly. Um, God, like, there's there's nothing really to say about this. Like, um, it's I, I think it's a really good movie, but, you know, you see... It, it's, it's, it's definitely post-Age of Ultron because... Um, Scott Lang has to basically steal something from the Avengers facility and has a run-in with Falcon uh, in order to do their little heist in, in Pym Industries at the end. And, you know, besides that... Um, it has a really great arc about fathers um, and family bonds. Absolutely. And it's really... Yeah. I personally really like it as well. It's great, yeah. Scott Lang's divorced, but he, has, he still has a good relationship with his daughter, with his young daughter. Um, and, and that, that's kind of where the movie ends. Like it is, um, um, you know, Hank Pym had a protege played by Corey Stoll from House of Cards. Who God, he kind was of so off the deep end. He was so awful. I hated. He was I not hated a great. Him. It was not a great performance, but he 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 becomes the Yellow Jacket. He has a shrinking suit that uh, can also shoot lasers, and he wants to militarize that. But um, you know, he goes off the rails, and the the final battle is Scott fighting fighting um, Yellow Jacket in the the uh, the room of his daughter because Yellow Jacket's trying to like you know take her hostage, and um, Scott's able to defeat him by going by doing something that you shouldn't do. This is like a crossing of the streams kind of thing. Where he goes, um, what, what's what's it called? Um, he goes subatomic, so he's able to like become smaller than an atom. But he gets lost in the quantum realm. Uh, unlike Janet Van Dyne, um, Hank Pym's wife, uh, who is trapped in the quantum realm, uh, Scott Lang is able to get out. And um, yeah, Yellow Jacket's dead. Um, Scott's okay. And um, yeah. It's pretty much it. You 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 find out that uh, Sam Wilson is looking for Scott. You know, maybe he'll show up again later. And Hank's like, you know what? You can you can uh, you can also suit up. Hope so. The uh, mid credits is um, Hank showing a new Wasp suit. Wasp being the former persona of um, Janet Van Dyne. It's basically Ant Man, but she also has wings. <laughs> and uh, post credit scene, you see. A scene from Civil Captain War, America which we'll talk about. Wilson. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Which we'll talk about. Uh, Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson, they have trapped the Winter Soldier who they have found. And they're like, what are we going to do next? And they're like, we don't know what to do because of the Accords. And Falcon says, I know a guy. Credits say, Ant-Man will return. Yeah. That's pretty much it, right? That's phase two in a nutshell. We had to kind of rest a little bit because we did not want to get three hours. Izzy's got to go to thing. You got to go to thing. I got to do stuff today. Um, but we did make good time. So high five us. Yeah. Through, yeah. Yeah. Through Granted, the state. I think there are some things we could have mentioned, but you know that's pretty much the important stuff. Yeah. Um, I think next time we should be more careful. We should like mention actors' names that way. If people have not seen these movies, they will know who we're talking about. That's fair. Um, I think like I. I like I think shift like in between in and out, but like yeah. Otherwise, that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. But yeah, you can follow me at Delirilin on Twitter. Um, and yeah. Yep, I'm at Competitorizer. You can find us at AP Marvel on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube. Leave a review. Uh, give to our Patreon so we can pay writers. 
Uh, check out our Medium. Follow us on Medium. Join our Discord server. Thanks to Charles Villanueva for the graphics. Thanks to Steve Molitor for the track Jazz Ventures. Thanks to all our Patreons. Also, uh, while I still have a little time, special shout out to your geeky gal pal who's doing a fundraiser on GoFundMe. They also want to pay writers. They have a very similar mission as we do. And also to our friends at um, uh, MajorCast, um, MajorCast Network. They have a Patreon going up, so I think you should support them too. Uh, if you remember Thomas um, Lockney and Eric McAdams, they were both uh, guests on the show. Uh, but yeah. Uh, supports Caitlin from our Jessica Jones episode by giving to Yoki Galpal and Thomas and Eric by giving to Matricast's network. And that's it for us. We'll see you next week for Phase 3. Uh, I, I assume Izzy won't be here either and Thomas and Anthony, so I'm gonna, they're all tired, so I'm going to have to find someone else. <laughs> see you later. Bye.